We are in week seven of nine studies of nine words that I believe every Christian ought to know and ought to understand. Each of these words are descriptive of something that God has done or is doing in the life of a Christian. And so these are things true of you. If you know Christ this morning, if you've put your trust in him as your Lord and Savior, all these words are true of you. Today, our word is sanctification. He changes you into his likeness. All these words involve faith. We trust the Lord for these things being true. They are all things that he does. And this word is no different. But in so many ways, this word is different because we get to participate in this process called sanctification. I think it's a neglected word. I believe that too much of the time we have so emphasized grace and we should emphasize grace that God saves us by his grace that salvation is a gift that forgiveness for my sins is not something that I earn it is something I receive and that Jesus Christ paid the price so that my sins could be forgiven it is grace something I don't deserve and we emphasize grace and we should one of the great dangers whenever the gospel is properly taught, properly emphasized, is that some might get the idea that if it is true that I am completely saved by grace, by a gift, there's nothing I can add to the cross, what Jesus did for me. I can't add anything to what's already been done. That with that understanding of the gospel, which is true, by the way, that we begin to think that there's nothing I can do in my life, that between the new birth and the final breath, I just can only sit back and just do the best I can, just sort of coast. And that we are, as we gather here today, Christians who are just sort of sitting back and waiting for heaven, and that there's really not a lot that we can do. Now, we don't say it that way. The Apostle Paul encountered this. This was one of the common objections. I remember years ago reading for the first time in Romans 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, it doesn't matter anymore. All my sins are forgiven, so why don't I keep on sinning? They're forgiven anyway, going to heaven anyway. Once saved, always saved. And so when someone understands the gospel, that is an error or a mistake that we can make. And so sometimes I believe we emphasize grace and what God has done to the exclusion of what we should be doing. What should be happening between my new birth and my last breath? What, what is God doing in my life as a Christian right now? Before heaven, before I die, what is he doing? Well, what he's doing is this word sanctification. Now, in our world that we live in, there are debates about this among counselors and psychologists, but we have a tendency to label people. When you have a problem, we don't just call it by its vulgar street name, a sin. We give it a diagnosis. We give it a label. And we label one another. Sometimes we take those labels as permanent and unchanging. And we can drink from the fountain of that worldly understanding of humanity 
and it can infect even the Christian mind. And we can begin to think, yes, I'm saved, yes, I'm forgiven, and one day I'll stand before God totally forgiven and completely removed from the presence of sin. But right now there's just not a whole lot I can do about my sin. And, and we make excuses for our sins. We, we say to one another, or we have that, that individual in our family, and they go to church, and maybe they're active in the church, and maybe they're a leader in the church, but they have some serious character problems. And I'm not going to list any, because I don't know what you struggle with. But, but sometimes we make excuses, and we say, well, I'm just that way. I have a problem with blank, and you can fill in the blank, and I've had this problem with blank for 53 years, and I'm going to have this problem with blank when I die. And you just have to accept me. It's just the way I am. I can't help it. It's just who I am. And listen to me. That is a lie. The entire heart of the gospel is that you are no longer what you were. And that God, through the new birth, has put something new inside of you. And that change is what you are about. I believe because we have failed to teach and apply this doctrine or this word called sanctification, that we are seeing an epidemic of moral failure in at least the American church, where we have leaders who are falling and failing. And if our leaders don't know how to walk in victory or in a holy life, then how will those who follow those leaders know how to walk? And so this is a vital word. It's a word that's important. And as we've done each week, I want to ask three questions, and then we're going to go eat. But here are the three questions. Number one, what is sanctification? What is sanctification? How does it differ from those other words that we've studied? Well, let me give you the definition first. This one's longer than some of the others, and I'm going to leave this up a moment and say a few things about it. But here's the definition that I want to, to put to you today. Sanctification is an ongoing work of God. Who does it? God does it. And in that sense, this word is like all the other words. It's an ongoing work of God by which the believer is separated from sin, becoming more fully dedicated to God's service and changed into his likeness. That is what sanctification is. When you were born again, and we looked at that word last week, the new birth, regeneration, he's recreated you on the inside. From the moment you trusted Christ and the moment you were born again, you became a son of God or a daughter of God. You are a child of God. And just like a natural child over time begins to resemble their mom and dad, not just in their appearance, but in their behavior and the way they talk and the way they act, we influence our kids, don't we? You don't like sometimes the way your kid's acting? Perhaps it's genetic. Perhaps they picked it up from some aspect of you. And, and so just like a child takes on a likeness to their parent, 
there is a very real growth that takes place when you first become a child of God and over time you begin to change and you begin to grow into the likeness of your heavenly father sanctification is the word the big word for simply describing the spiritual growth process and transformation that happens inside every Christian and holiness is the result and we've got a lot of odd ideas about holiness but holiness is simply a life that is lived separated from sin the whole concept of holiness is something that's separated uh, let me explain it this way the word holy or in various forms is used over 600 times in the Bible and it always has this idea of being separated so in the Old Testament when you had the tabernacle which was supposedly the place where God dwelled it was believed that God dwelled there and you had all of these rituals and associated with those rituals you had special utensils and tongs and bowls and dishes and and forks or whatever they used you had all these different utensils and and at a certain point those utensils were consecrated to God they were made holy to God and the way they did that is they took those tongs or they took that fork or they took that bowl or they took that plate and they said this item is now separated and is set apart exclusively for God's service for God's use and so the core idea of holy means to separate something for God's service or God's use and over time as that applies to you and me it also means we are changed we are transformed so sanctification refers to this process of becoming holy now the Bible if you've read your New Testament you'll notice something pretty remarkable if Paul was writing about Wind Baptist Church he would never write to the members of Wind Baptist Church he would write his letter to the Saints who are Wind Baptist Church and and so we have this morning everybody who's a Christian we have st. Dustin we have st. Randy we have st. Lou we have st. Billy now I don't know that we're going to build a shrine or a monument to st. Dustin but the word saint literally means a set apart one one that's been set apart or a holy one and that's all the word saint means someone that's holy now now the confusion comes when we begin to think well I know Dustin pretty well and there are times when he's not holy amen Beth there are times he's not holy she was very wise and quiet at that moment and, and there's times where we don't act like we're set apart for God we don't act like we're set apart for sin and so we say well I can't be a saint because of what I just said or what I just did that's not the understanding of the word saint the word saint is not describing what you have done to become holy it's not describing your goodness or your character at that point it's describing your relationship to God you have been set apart for God's service and in that sense you are holy to God consecrated to God and so you're a saint already you're a saint if you know Christ now sanctification refers to the process 
by which we become what we already are. It's a process by which we become what we already are. Let me give you two examples that illustrate this. Here's the first one. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 and 7. For this is the will of God. By the way, if you ever want to know what the will of God is, here's one thing we know for sure is the will of God for your life. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now, he gives a specific instance of it, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. So right away we know that sanctification has to do with abstaining from certain activities, abstaining from certain things that in the sight of God are sin. And so if you are being sanctified, you are being set apart from sin and set apart for God. In this case, the sin is named. It's sexual immorality. Verse 7, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but how? In holiness. In holiness. He's called you to be set apart for him. Not set apart for all the junk that we get caught up in. He's called us to be set apart for him. Here's a second illustration. Also from 1 Thessalonians, the next chapter, 5 verses 22 to 24. Abstain from every form of evil. Now we don't abstain just from sexual immorality. He says every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself, now watch this, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Who's doing it? God's doing it. Who's to abstain? Who's supposed to abstain? You and me. But God's the one that's also involved. And that's why this word is so special, so precious. And we'll see this in a moment, but there's God's part and your part. And the question is, are you doing your part? God's doing his part. Are you doing your part? Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Amen? Praise the Lord. He is making you what you need to be. He is changing you from the inside out. Now, both passages suggest that sanctification is a process. Nobody has arrived. There are some Christians that believe that through a special prayer or a special moment at a time or a special moment of complete surrender to God, that all at once you can reach a place of total or entire sanctification or also known as sinless perfection. Has anybody done that? Thank you for being honest. On this side of heaven, we don't arrive. We are in process, and as I'm going to show you in a moment, you should be making progress, but you don't arrive. And there's all kinds of examples in Scripture that I could use to but one of the ones that comes to mind right away, for example, is the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who is in the heavens, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your name, let it be made holy, Lord. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then what does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, now that right away tells me that the entire prayer is intended to be a daily prayer. Because unless you don't need bread every day, you don't need to pray that every day. But when you pray about your bread, I'm going to pray about it every day. God, these are the things I need to live. These are the things that I have in my plate. These are the things that I have in my life. And he says, give us this day our daily needs, our daily bread. And what's the next thing he says? Forgive us our 
trespasses or debts or sin. Now, if I'm supposed to pray a daily prayer where each time I pray that daily prayer, I say, oh, God, forgive me for my sins. And Jesus said, this is how you pray. Then there's a high likelihood that I need to pray about my sins every day. That I should keep short accounts with my father and come before him and say, oh, God, would you bring to my mind, search my heart, the things that I need to confess. And in fact, um, there are other places in the scripture. First John says that if we walk in darkness and we say that we're of God, if we walk in darkness, we lie, we don't do the truth. Okay, so that's one extreme. Somebody who just practices sin, practices sin, doesn't bother them, they just keep doing it, they keep doing it, they keep doing it. He said there's something wrong with their religion. There's something wrong with their heart. On the other hand, he says, if we say we have no sin, that's the other extreme. I'm perfect. I don't sin. If we say we have no sin, what does he say? He says, we lie and do not the truth. We lie and we don't do the truth. And so no one arrives. All of us are engaged in a battle with sin. All of us are in a process that God is in charge of and that we participate in to become increasingly set apart from sin and set apart for God's service. Now there's encouragement in this battle. And um, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot down these references. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 10 and verse 14. Now this is really cool and I want you to see this. Here's verse 10, Hebrews 10, verse 10. By that will, God's will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, does that sound like something that's in process or something that's finished? Go ahead, be bold. Finished. And in fact, in the original language, it is called the perfect tense, and it's in the passive voice. Perfect tense describes something that happens in the past that is a completed work with consequences that continue to affect the present time. Passive voice describes something that is done to you. It's not something you're doing. It's something done to you. We have been sanctified through this offering of Jesus Christ in his life. It is done. That means that when you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are immediately set apart for God, and in the sight of God, he sees you as completely holy and right with him. We have another word where, that describes that. Do you remember that word? It is justification. Where God looks at us, this God who is holy, looks at us who are not holy, says we are holy even though we're not holy justification and so in that same way sanctification is complete God sees you as completely free of sin completely perfect in his sight as if it was already completed and done now you got that four verses later listen to what the same writer says for by one offering who's offering the offering of who Jesus, his offering. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Who are being sanctified. Does that describe something that's completed or that's in process? 
Ongoing, Jim. That's right. It's ongoing. And so both are true. You say, Pastor, that seems odd. It is, it is odd, but it's true. God sees you one way, but at the same time, you're a work in process. You are perfected forever by the offering of Jesus. At the same time, you are being sanctified. God is doing it, but it's happening now. It's in process. God's not finished with you yet. And so in one sense, you have arrived. You are sanctified. You are set apart. In another sense, you are arriving. You are being sanctified. I've got a chart I'm going to put up on the screen. Wayne Grudem is a theologian. Some of you Sunday school teachers I know have his, his book on theology, systematic theology. And all systematic theology is, a, is an effort to take all the scripture about a topic and, and put it in one place and explain it. And in, in that, he has this chart of the process of sanctification. On the lower part of that chart, you see the, the label slaves to sin. Before a person is saved, before the Holy Spirit comes to live inside a person, that is who you are. You are a slave to sin. You are in bondage to sin. You may think, hey, I'm loose, I'm free, nobody tells me what to do. I just do what I want to do. And um, the truth about you is that sin is in charge. That very attitude is an expression of sin's rule in your life, that you're doing what you want to do, when you want to do it, anytime you want to do it. Slave to sin. Then a person hears the gospel. They hear that Jesus died for them on the cross, that he carries away their sins, that when they trust him, the Holy Spirit's going to come live inside them. They're going to have a new birth, and then this process is going to begin of growth, Christian growth. And there you see it, conversion. This non-Christian becomes a Christian, and they jump above the line. They're across the line. They've been separated from sin by a work of God. They are sanctified. It is a perfect work. It is perfected forever, and that's who you are. But then the process begins of making you what you are in reality. And what I like about that line is it goes up and down. Do you see that? What does that mean? It means you have good days and some days are not so good. Some days you get it right. You get up in the morning. Your heart just naturally turns to the Lord. You pray, you talk to him, you love him, you worship him, you read his word. And you get in your car and you drive 10 minutes down the freeway and lose all your religion. (laughs) Up, down. Up, down. Sometimes God has a hold of my heart and I'm listening to him and I'm just doing what he tells me to do. And other days, I'm running wild, loose and free, and I'm having a bad day because of it. Up, down, up, down. But what I also like about this line is it reflects those up and downs, but it also, is that line going up? Or is it going down? It's going up. You know what that means? You may not be so different this week that I can see the difference between this week and last week. But if I see you today and you're a Christian and I know what you were like five years ago, there ought to be a big difference. If I see you today and I know what you were like 10 years ago, there ought to be a big difference. If I see you today and know what you were like 30 years ago, there ought to be a big difference. That the overall trend is upward. The overall trend is transformation. He is molding us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. He is changing us. He is doing it. It is in ways, it is in, with a power that you will not always be conscious of, but he is changing your desires. He is changing the trajectory of your life. He is changing your character. God's doing that.
What you want to do is cooperate with that. Have you ever met somebody and they became a Christian and it seemed like they just changed overnight? And then you go back and see them three months later and they're, they're even more changed than they were the first time you saw them. And then a year later, it's like they're the Apostle Paul walking around. And just in one year, one year. And some people become Christians and they're still trying to find the book of Genesis six months later. Now what's the difference between the two? Is one a Christian and the other not? I can't tell you their heart. I can't. But I can tell you who's applying themselves. I can tell you who has sensed the presence of God in their life and is responding to what God is doing in their life. I can tell you who's making an effort, who's working at it. And so we have arrived, but we are also arriving. It's a work of God. He's going to get you there. What God starts, God finishes. But I can cooperate with this work. More on that in just a moment. Here's a second question. What does sanctification tell us about God? Each one of these words, I think, tell us something very significant about who he is. And so sanctification is not merely about being separated from sin. Sanctification is also about being set aside for God's service. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14, the apostle writes, As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Well, what does that tell me about God? He is what? He's holy. Now, dear ones, I'm not at all convinced that I understand what it means when God says he's holy. Because His holiness is unlike anything I have ever known or that you have known. Everything we know in this world, everything we have known in our life has been tainted by sin, has been broken in some way, has been damaged. We see sin all around us, we see darkness all around us, and we see it outside of us and we see it wrestle inside of us. But the holiness of God is unlike anything you and I have known. When I think of holiness, I think of a standard. Here's the standard. This is what I'm supposed to be. And God doesn't have a standard called holiness that he's, He has to be. He is the standard. When we talk about holiness, we're talking about who He is. There is no book somewhere that says, this is what it means to be holy. And God reads the book and says, okay, I'm holy. No. He is the book. He is the standard. And, and because of that, our minds cannot grasp who he is. You and I, sometimes you and I make a decision, we get into moral dilemmas. What is the right thing to do? Oh God, what is the right thing to do? And we pray about it, we wrestle with it. What is the right thing to do in this situation? Listen, God never wrestles. There's no ambiguity in his mind or heart. He always knows what's right and he always does what's right. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes in my life things are go, go wrong. And I think, oh God, I've been trying to be a good guy. I've been trying to serve you. I've been trying to please you with my life. There must be something. I don't say this, but we come so close to it, don't we? There must be something wrong with you because this is not right what I'm going through. Anybody ever done that? You don't have to raise your hand. 
And then as I wrestle with that myself, I can't tell you how many times I've wound up on my face, on my knees, as I suddenly realize that God is good and everything God does is good and He can't do anything except good. He is holy. He is totally separate from sin. Not like me. When He created the heavens and the earth, before sin entered the picture, when He created everything, He looked at everything and He said, it is what? Good. When God makes something, it is good. And because He is holy, everything He does is holy. The very English word that we we use for the word holy means whole, healthy, complete. And when God creates something, it is holy, it is healthy, it is complete, it is right. And God looks at it and says it is good. And then sin enters the picture and it's broken, it's damaged. And now there's crime and there's sin and there's disease and it's not holy anymore. God looks at sin the way a parent thinks about an illness that's killing their child. We look at sin and we think, boy, that would be fun. He looks at it and says, no, this is not holy. This is not good. This thing is awful and it's killing my universe. It's killing my children. And so anything that's sinful is going to be threatened by the holiness of God. The Bible says the angels hide their faces from the holiness of God. He is a consuming fire. And so when we talk about the wrath of God towards sin, we've got to understand it as a, as a natural expression of His holiness, His separateness from sin. So sanctification tells me God is holy. It also tells me He wants His children to be holy. He wants you to be holy. He wants me to be holy. Why is that? Notice back in verse 14 it says, as obedient children. Whose children are we? We're His children. As obedient children, you also be holy in all your conduct. So God is is saying to you and me, I want you to be like me in relationship to your own sin. You are my son. You are my daughter. And I want you to be like me. Third question, last question. How should sanctification affect the way that I live? When we looked at Hebrews 10, two chapters over, there's a verse, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. I believe it's a powerful verse. It's worth looking at. How should it affect the way I live? Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Pursue peace with all people. Now, that's, that's one thought. Okay, Pursue peace with all people. And that's a good thing to do. That's something we ought to do. And that pursue means to make it the object of your life, to, to really go after something. You and I, all of us, are pursuing something in life, aren't we? We may just want peace and quiet, but we're pursuing it. We want something in life. We're pursuing it. He says, do this. Pursue peace with all men. And then he says there's something else we're to pursue. Make an effort to obtain. He says, pursue peace with all people and holiness. Pursue holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this pursue is present tense, which means to do it continuously. Pursue and pursue and pursue and pursue this holiness without which no one will see the Lord. 
Make it a habit of life to pursue holiness. Now, this verse is not saying to pursue holiness in order to achieve right standing with God. And I can, I, I can look at that verse without which no one will see the Lord, and it sounds like I've got to pursue holiness so that when I see the Lord, I'll have sufficient amount of holiness to get into heaven. That's not what the verse is saying. In fact, two chapters earlier, we saw he has perfected us forever, hasn't he? We've already been sanctified, haven't we? That same writer told us that in chapter 10. It's done. It's finished. And I know it's true. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, it says, He chose us, all Christians, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should stand holy and blameless before Him. That's something God's going to do. That when that day comes and I draw my last breath and I first see Jesus and I stand before Him, how am I going to stand? I'm going to stand before Him holy and without blame, completely separated from sin in my life. I will be as guilt-free and innocent as anything God ever made that was never touched by sin. That will be my life. And it's something that God has done. Now, I know that's, that's the ambition. So, so hang with me here. I start out my Christian life with a new birth. By faith, I understand that I've been justified, declared right with God. It's something God did. By faith, I know I've been reconciled with him. He took away the sin that separated us. I can have a relationship with him. By faith, I know I'm adopted into his family. I am his son. I am his daughter. All these things the Bible says, by faith, I receive it, and I know it's truth. At the beginning of my life, it's true, and at the end of my life, it's true. And so what the Scripture is saying to us in this verse and countless other verses is that if that's true in the beginning and that's true at the end, what should we be doing right now? We shouldn't, certainly shouldn't be sitting back and saying, well, I'm just going to wait for heaven. Pursue holiness. Separate yourself from sin in every part of your life. You say, well, pastor, I'm confused. You've said that sanctification is something God does, and now you're saying that I'm supposed to do something. Well, listen to me carefully. I'm not telling you to do it in order to get there. I'm telling you to work out what you already are. And I have a beautiful passage that I want to share with you. And... Um, and a couple examples, and then we're going to close. So hang with me. Here's the passage I want you to see. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. If you've sat with me in a counseling situation, this verse comes up a lot. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. The wisdom as a Christian that you and I need to grow in is understanding that when I'm dealing with a problem, what is God's part in dealing with that problem, and what is my part in dealing with that problem? Philippians 2 helps us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, here it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Isn't that cool? That's the truth about sanctification. That really is. It's all there. 
Let me, let me just make three observations. Let me break out three things. How do I pursue holiness based on this passage? Okay. Now, there are other ways we could approach this, but here's what I want to offer you today. How do I pursue holiness? Number one, deepen your relationship with God. Holiness is not about being sin-free. It is about being ultimately in a relationship with a holy God who loves you. He's your Father. But work on that relationship with Him. That's where you need to begin. Why do I want to be good? Do you think Jesus died on the cross just so I could be good? Do you think that was His objective? That was His mission? No, it was, a, it was a, just a, that's a, that's a side effect of the cross to make you good. He died on the cross so that you can be in relationship with the Father. He wants sons and daughters not stuff that sits on the shelf and looks good. And so deepen your relationship. He says, work out your salvation. Here's the phrase I want you to see, with fear and trembling. Why? Because I'm dealing with, a, with a, my father, yes, but he's a holy God, my father is. And, and he's at work in me. And I need to be sensitive to his presence in my life. And I need to stay right there always. When I have time alone with God in the, in the morning, it is so I can come to Him, I can set myself before Him, it's so I can enjoy Him and so He can enjoy me. But that experience of that quiet time, of that prayer time, of that time alone with God does not end when you get up and go brush your teeth. Jesus said, abide in me. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He wants you to stay with Him walk with Him, commune with Him, have fellowship with Him every waking moment of your day. If you are serious about pursuing holiness, being set apart from sin and set apart for God, deepen your relationship with this one who loves you. Some of you are failing in your efforts to defeat sin in your life because of this issue right here. You're trying to be good instead of being in a relationship. You're trying to get what you want out of life to be a good person and stop messing up and stop hurting people around you. You're, you've got all these earthly objectives, but you don't have the right objective of being that person who loves the Lord as God with all his heart, all his mind, all his soul, and all his strength, which is the greatest commandment, and that's what he most wants from you. So deepen your relationship with God if you're going to pursue holiness. Second thing, trust God to the point of complete surrender to his will and his power. He says, for it is God who works in you. Now, there are times where you may be conscious of God working in you. There are many times where you will not be conscious of God working in you. When I first became a Christian, I'm just picking stuff out of the air, it's kind of silly, but I had certain activities that I was doing all the time. I hate to even list the activities because the nature of the activity is not the issue. The issue is my desires change, and I didn't want to do those things anymore. And so I stopped going to certain places. I stopped doing certain things, not because someone said, Now, Don, now that you're a Christian, you need to be holy, and you need to be holier than all of thou's. No. Why did I stop those things? I didn't want to do them anymore. I just wasn't interested. Did I become perfect and sin-free overnight? 
no, no, no. I began to really wrestle with sin. I had a lot of tough stuff to deal with. I still have a lot of tough stuff to deal with, and so do you. Don't look down on me. And so what I have to do is come to a place where the Bible says God is at work in me both to will and do his good pleasure. i got to trust that that is true. I, and knowing that he lives right here, I need to come and, and rest in that truth. i got to believe that. i got to surrender to that. The God who is the king of the universe lives in your heart. And i got to believe that that's true. You know, in Romans chapter 12, after 11 chapters of telling you all that God has done for you, he comes to this verse where he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, based on everything God has done, the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, based on all that God is doing, that he's at work in you, he's changing you, he's, he's doing all this stuff in you. If that is true, you need to come to God as a living sacrifice. Now, now picture this. Here's an altar. It's a, there's a fire, a roaring fire. You put a sacrifice on it. Normally it burns up. It's dead. It's like the chicken we're going to eat. Done. Well done. But he doesn't say come to God that way. He says come to God as a living sacrifice. You know what that means? That means you're up on that altar. You're not climbing off. You may try to several times a day, but you keep getting back up on that altar and you say, God, here I am. And you are constantly being consumed for him. A, an offering continually to him. Not just in a quiet time. Not just on Sunday morning. Not just once in a while. But always being offered to him. A living sacrifice. You know what he's saying? He's saying give your bodies to God. When you give your body to God, do you know what goes with your body? Your mind, your emotions, your will, your ability to decide, your choices, everything goes with you when you give your body to God. Have you given him your life? Have you given him your body? You say, I'm already a Christian. So were these people in Rome. They were already Christians. Paul says, based on God's mercies to you, based on what he's done for you, would you come to him? Would you make yourself a sacrifice? Offer him, give him your body, give him your life. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And so deepen your relationship with God, and then you've got to trust God to the point of complete surrender. He knows what's best. He's got the plan. I don't. And I'm going to believe it's true. If I'm going to pursue holiness and serve God, I've got to trust Him and surrender to Him. Third thing, last thing. If I'm serious about pursuing holiness, and this is the part that I think we overlook because of our emphasis on grace, that salvation's a gift. Number three, Apply yourself fully to anything you believe he wants you to do. Work out your own salvation. God has a purpose for you. God has a plan for you. He has things for you to do that nobody else is supposed to do. You are unique. You are loved. And when you understand that God wants you to do something, you need to be all in. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will, that means to decide or to choose. But God works in you both to will and to do, the energy, the ability to do his good pleasure. God's at work in you doing this. How do you respond to the activity and the work of God? 
How do you respond to the activity of God who's already made you holy and is going to cause you to stand holy and blameless before him? How do you do it? How do you respond to that? You certainly don't sit back and just wait for heaven. You work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Two examples of application, and then we're going to close. Romans 8, 13. And this is all over the New Testament, but I just want you to see this examples, and then we'll stop. For if you live according to the flesh, that part of you that produces desires that are sinful and that want to do life without God, all of us have a flesh on the inside. We also have a spirit, if you know Jesus, that produces another set of desires. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, by what God is putting in you to do, what he's He's creating you in you as a desire, what he's creating you as an ability. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He's not going to put to death the deeds of the body. You are going to put to death the deeds of the body. You say, well, pastor, what does it mean to, to put sin to death? And we talked about this several years ago. And some of you will remember I had a cage on the uh, platform. And I had a, a funny-looking face in there. We called it the sin monster. Any of y'all remember the sin monster? And in Colossians 3, it talks about putting to death your members which are on the earth. It talks about mortifying sin or causing it to die, killing sin. One of the old Puritan fathers said, you've got to be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And so that's what Paul's saying here. He says, you put to death the deeds of the body. So what does that mean, to put to death the deeds of the body? Well, you have a desire to sin, and God at the same time is producing a desire in you to serve him. Two desires. Now at that moment, you have a choice to make. I can go with the Spirit of God, or I can feed the flesh. And just like that monster in the cage, I said if you keep feeding it, it's going to get healthy and fat and strong. Some of you got a real healthy sin monster you're dealing with. The more you feed it, the stronger it gets. The more you feed it, the more you reinforce that sin habit. The more you feed it, the harder it is to break it, but you can. And so if I'm going to cause sin to die, i got to stop feeding it. i got to stop saying yes to it. i got to start saying yes to God and no to sin. Breaking old sin habits, forming new habits of responding to God, walking with Him. Let me give you another example. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. Amen? Hey, I love that. When we're eating chicken today, you ought to look over at your friend at the table and say, hey, you know we're the children of God? Just do that today. See how they look at you. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. When that final day comes and you stand holy and blameless before God, I don't know what I'm going to look like. I don't know if God's going to give me more hair back. I don't know if he's going to make me look good like I was when I was 18 or make me look good like, I don't know what he's going to do. That's biblical. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Don't have a clue. But we know that when he is revealed, Jesus is revealed, you stand before him, we shall be like him. Is Jesus holy? He's absolutely holy. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope, this expectation that God has saved me and one day I'm going to stand before Jesus, everyone who has this hope in him, what does he do? 
He purifies himself just as he is pure. Purifies himself. God doesn't purify you in that, in that sense of saying no to sin and yes to God. We do that to ourselves. Listen, you got to get in a fight. If you're being plagued right now with some sin habit, with some, something you keep saying, I can't do anything about it, that's just the way I am, I'm going to be that way till I die. Listen, that's not true. Do you believe that God has saved you? Do you believe that he has made you holy in his sight? Do you believe that when that day comes and you go to heaven, you're going to stand before him holy and without blame? Do you believe that? John says if you believe that, you're going to, start, you're going to make every effort to live now and be now what you are. You pursuing holiness? Are you every day saying, Lord, I don't want anything to do with sin? And I'm stepping back from sin, but that's not enough. God didn't save you just to be good, remember? He saved you for himself, and so every day I step back from sin. Every day I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, here's my body, here's my life, here's my mind, here are my emotions, here are my choices, here's my will. I want to serve you. I want to serve you. 